Good morning. Welcome to Mission View Church. My name is Matt. Um, if this is your first time here with us, welcome. So glad you've joined us for worship this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 2. Uh, we uh, have been in a sermon series called Stand Your Ground. We uh, uh, started out by looking at how uh, Jesus launched his ministry here in the book of Mark. And then we kind of transitioned into how Jesus kind of defends his ministry as he comes up against all types of opposition uh, the re religious leaders of the time. So we're kind of in the middle of that sermon series, Stand Your Ground. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Um, a couple of exciting things before we jump into the sermon today. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, had an opportunity to drive by our new facility that is almost finished, but um, we are about eight weeks out from having our first service in our new building. So we are, yeah. <clears throat> We are really excited about the ministry opportunities that this tool, this building um, God's given us will allow us um, to reach our community, to continue to go beyond our community and support missionaries and send out missionaries. We started this off with the building and we called it Base Camp because the building isn't the end goal. Uh, the building is just a tool that God's given us that we can really start that base camp of ministry center going out, that um, Mission View Church has a mission that we keep in view, and that's to reach the lost. Here in North Canton, Stark County, surrounding region, the U.S., and across the world. That's why we pray for local churches that we partner with, and we pray for missionaries that we support every Sunday. Because we have a mission to keep in view, and that mission was given to us by Jesus Christ. That we would go out into all the, all the world and share the good news to make disciples. And that's what God's called us to, so we're really excited about that. If you have an opportunity, maybe sometime this week, drive down Maple, and you can check out the building. And um, the sidings, half the sidings up, the windows are in. Um, they're building the stage in the auditorium even right now, so it's a... Uh, it is really, really exciting. On that same note, next week, um, if you're watching online um, and everyone here today, next week we are doing a base camp update. We're going to let you know um, the financial side of things. We're going to talk about um, the coming years of base camp, what that looks like for us as a church. So if you have questions regarding finances and all of that stuff, we're going to try and answer as many questions as we can um, uh, as we share the update next week. So don't miss that. That'll be next week during the service. So we'll have that base camp update. All right. This sermon, man, I love this little section of scripture. Um, I, Jesus is the um, originator of the mic drop moment. I'm just going to state that up front. I love how he um, combats the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees um, with these one-liners where he says something and it's just like, boom, walk away. It's this awesome mic drop moment. It's, it's as if he says something and it's an epiphany to all who are listening. It's this total paradigm shift where everybody's minds just... And it's done. And, and we are, we're going to look at one of those moments. So to kind of get us warmed and up to this and ramped up for this moment, I want to share some mind-blowing things with you. Maybe these will be paradigm shifts for you today. Did you know 
that potato chips cause more weight gain than any other food. <laughs> right? We're, we're walking out of here different today. Did you know it's impossible to hum if you hold your nose? Go ahead, try it. You can't hum and hold your nose. Mind blown. You're welcome. You're welcome, Mission View. Here's the last one. The world's biggest tire producer is... Lego. Who said Lego? Somebody gets a gold star today. Lego's the biggest tire producer. I mean, we're in North Canton. Come on. Fire stung. I mean, mind blown, right? Lego, biggest tire producer. Well, anyways, Jesus is paradigm shifts. Jesus gives epiphanies that go far beyond tire production or potato chips. This is life-changing stuff. And my prayer for us today is as we look into God's word that this statement that Jesus makes is just as life-changing for you and I as it was for those who were listening at the time. Because it is a strong and powerful statement. By the power of the Spirit, I believe God wants to change us by this too. So let's pray before we go to God's Word right now. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the life that Jesus lived, the example that he set, the words that he shared. And Father, as we look into these things this morning, we trust that you would work by the power of your spirit to change our hearts, to change our minds, and to grow us in the knowledge of your love, of your son, of your will, of your power and strength. God, we pray for a paradigm shift this morning that we would walk out of here different than we walked in because we've met with our creator and you did something that only you can do in us, and that is change our hearts and minds towards your kingdom and your will. We surrender to you, Father. Use me in the name of Jesus. We pray. Amen. All right, we're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 2, verse 18 here. It says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does... The wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Boom, mic drop, Jesus leaves the room. No, I'm just kidding. But as we read that, you may be sitting out there and going, what is he talking about? We're talking old cloth and new cloth garments. What in the world does that have to do with, with fasting? I mean, you, then he goes into wine and wineskins. We're in church. We don't talk about wine in church. What is, what is going on? We don't even use wineskins anymore. This is wild, okay? Well, we're going to get into what all this means. The first thing that I really want us to kind of try and wrap our minds around in what Jesus is saying, and I'm going to tell you how he says it is this, and it's the first fill in your notes. We have joy because Jesus has come. That's what he's saying. In that short little section of scripture, I know it didn't seem like that's what Jesus said, 
But if we really look into what is going on and what he says, Jesus says that we have great joy because Jesus is here. The Messiah has come. You see, Jesus is the bridegroom. All throughout scripture, we have this picture that God paints that Jesus is the bridegroom and his church, you and I, are the bride. Now, this is a great picture, and I want to give us a little bit of cultural and historical ideology here, is that back in Bible times, a bridegroom would come and, and get his bride. He would make this contractual agreement with the bride's mother and father. He would sign this contract, and he would then go back home and build a house, a home for his new bride. And 8 to 12 months later, after all his work was complete, he would come back to his bride and take her home. This was common practice in the day. He would come back with this great procession. This was the big wedding party, right? He was, he was after eight months of all the hard work and everything he had done, he'd bring all of his friends and all of his family and this huge procession would come back and he would get his bride and, and bring her home. It was an amazing celebration and party. It was awesome. Now that picture is painted for us as Christ and the church. And what a cool thing that, that God instituted in, in his sovereignty had happened in history. That that would be a picture for you and I. As we look back at that and see that in the culture, we actually look back at scripture and see Christ being the bridegroom. See, Jesus has come. God put on flesh. The Son of God was here, lived that perfect life, and then died on the cross, and then conquered death and sin for you and me, rising the third day. Jesus is saying, listen, my disciples don't fast right now because I'm here. The bridegroom is here, and it is party time because Jesus has come. We're not fasting right now. The bridegroom is here. Now, this was just mind-blowing for everybody, right, as they're hearing this. Is, wait, 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 what's he saying? What is he saying? There's, I mean, you're saying he's the bridegroom. Wait, 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 wait. Is he saying he's the Messiah? That they, they're... They're not going to fast right now. And, and you get, oh, that's another thing we need to know about too, right? Fasting in Scripture was a lot of times tied to mourning or, or this, this repentance of sin. And there was this, they would cover themselves in ashes and they would put on this sackcloth. And has anybody ever worn sackcloth, right? No, none of us have, right? Think of like the scratchiest wool sweater with like really harsh sandpaper in it. That is like, it is, sackcloth is terrible. You have a rash literally 30 seconds after putting it on. They would put ashes all over their body, wear sackcloth, and they would mourn and repent of their sin. That was, that was kind of what was tied to fasting on the Day of Atonement once a year required of people back then. This is, so this is what they're talking about, right? This type of fasting, this mourning, and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. The bridegroom has come and there is no fasting mourning right now. This is joy because Jesus has come. The Messiah has come. So get this. You and I, we have joy because the Messiah has come. We don't have joy because we have the job we've always wanted. We don't have joy because we have that dream home we've always dreamed of, and that's where we find happiness. 
We don't have joy because it is 75 degrees outside and sunny and we can all go work on our suntans later. No, we have joy because Jesus has come. Now, this kind of joy, this kind of happiness that Jesus is referring to isn't some type of fleeting joy. It isn't this temporary joy. It isn't this, this, this hollow false joy. He's talking about life-changing, solid, foundational, permanent, always present joy because Jesus has come. This is a joy that we have no matter what's going on in our lives. No matter what difficulty we're walking through, no matter what kind of suffering happens to us, no matter what kind of thing encroaches upon our ease of life, this is a joy that never leaves. And this is a joy that you and I claim and hold on to because of the hope that we have in Jesus. Do you have joy? Right? That, that's a big question for us because... The world has kind of brainwashed us into thinking that joy is tied to things. That joy is tied to people. That joy is tied to success or what the world would call success. That joy is tied to earthly things. What Jesus is saying is that true, lasting Permanent, irrevocable joy is found in Jesus. It is found in him. And you and I have him. Jesus has come. And we have joy in him. Is that good news or is that good news? I'm like, man, I can, we're done. I can be done preaching. We can go out of here. Everybody's full of joy and it is awesome. But here's the thing. Jesus came and went. Right? Jesus came and went. We don't see Jesus face to face quite anymore, right? Now we have the Holy Spirit living in us. Jesus said before he ascended, it's better that I go. And I read that, and I'll be honest with you. I just have one of those moments. Like, really? <laughs> I mean, how cool would it be if me and you could be like, hey, this morning our guest preacher is Jesus Christ. Come on out, right? And you would all be like, thank God, you know? Have a seat, Matt, right? I would be too. <laughs> I'd say the same thing. No, but I, every time I read that, we have that honest human response because we don't see the end and Jesus does, you know, God does. He knows all those things. He knows that it's better that the Holy Spirit live in us than him actually be present with us in the flesh, Right? But I have that, I'm just going to be honest, have that moment like, really? Okay, I guess. We have to trust him in that. But he, he ascended into heaven. So we, we're actually now in this, this time of, of waiting. That, that time where the bridegroom came and he made a contractual agreement. And then he went off for 8 to 12 months. It's been a little longer than 8 to 12 months, just so you know. Um, he goes off for 8 to 12 months and um, he's preparing a place for us. Did you know Jesus is preparing a place for you right now? A mansion for you in heaven and paradise? Oh, thank God for that. But we're in this time of waiting. But in this time of waiting, we are preparing. We're preparing to be with him 
face to face. Man, what a day that will be. What a day that will be. We live in this waiting knowing that the bridegroom is coming again. So we have joy. Now, what does Jesus also say there? He says, they won't fast while I'm with them, while the bridegroom is with them. But there will come a time where I'll be taken away from them and then they will fast. So we're in that waiting period and we fast now. So that's the second failure. You know, we practice fasting until Jesus comes again. In verse 19 and 20, it says, As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come, that days, will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. So we live in this waiting, and in this waiting, we are preparing. And one of the ways that we prepare for the second coming of Christ, that, that triumphant entry, that coming to take us home that he's prepared us for. We prepare our hearts, our minds. We live our lives set apart for him in this waiting. Who here likes waiting? Anyone? Red lights are your favorite thing in the whole world. You, you just live for those. You, um, you love it when people do 50 miles an hour in the 65 mile an hour highway in the left lane. You love that. You just pull up behind them, set your cruise, and just say, praise the Lord. Right? Here at Mission View, we're the most patient people, so we, we are okay with that. We, no, there's no such thing as road rage, right? right? No, we, no one likes waiting. That's why we have microwaves in our houses, right? It's because no one likes waiting. That's why in America, we invented fast food, because we just love waiting so much. No, we are an impatient people. We don't like waiting. But here's the thing. Jesus has us in a time of waiting, but he's given us a job to do, many jobs to do, to prepare our hearts, to prepare our lives for that second coming. And one of those things that he's given us is fasting, that we will be a people who fast. Jesus knew there would be waiting. He knew there would be a time where his people that were set apart for him would be set apart for him. In this time... We learn to love. We learn to forgive. We learn to turn from sin. We learn to turn to righteousness. We learn to obey him. We learn to surrender to him. And we learn to hear his voice. There would be times where we need to repent. There will be times of struggle and weakness. There will be times of joy and victory. But we are in the waiting. That is why Jesus says here, there will be a time that they fast, that we fast. Fasting is the lost practice, an overlooked discipline that we have available to us. But we know from Scripture that Jesus intends for us to fast. Look in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 and 18. I'll give you a second to turn there. It'll be up on the screens here too. But it says this. It says, And when you fast, notice that he doesn't say, If you fast, or if sometime by chance you fast. No, he says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. 
But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Did you, pick, did you catch that last phrase? He will reward you. Jesus says here, when you fast, not if you fast, or maybe if you fast sometimes, he says, when you fast, here's how you do it. Here's how you fast. Wash your face. Get cleaned up. Don't look all gloomy and sad and walk around all, you know, down. Take care of yourself and don't let anyone know that you are fasting. And the Father will, there's a reward that goes along with fasting. We can fast. We can meditate upon God's word. We can practice the disciplines. We can go and attend church and serve in the church. We can share the gospel. We can pray. We can obey. We can do all these things differently than they were done before Jesus had come. Did you follow me when I said that? We can practice the disciplines differently now because Jesus has come. Fasting looks differently now than it did before. The disciplines are different now than they were before. And that is the paradigm shift. That is the mic drop moment that Jesus has in this conversation right now. In verse 21, he says, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he tried to, if he does... The patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and the, a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine in old wineskins. If he does, the wine bursts out of the skins. The wine's destroyed. The skins are destroyed. New wine is for fresh wineskins. Here's where, this is where it gets really, really, really good. You see, his disciples came under question from the religious leaders of the time. Why aren't they fasting? I thought you were spiritual people. I thought that you knew the Lord. I thought that you would follow him in righteousness. That you would be fasting. You see, that was a practice that was respected. This is what you would do. This was their tradition. This is what proved you were righteous in the time. There was this legalistic overarching thing to this statement that they had made. Why don't Jesus' disciples fast? What a bunch of sinners. You can almost hear it under the statement that's being made. And this, okay, this is the big, big, big takeaway that Jesus, here it is, you ready? We are under grace, not the law. We are under grace, not the law. Jesus takes this, this idea, this practice, this command even that was in Scripture on the Day of Atonement that they would fast, put on ashes on their body, wear sackcloth, this idea of fasting. And he says, no, 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 I'm going to turn this thing around. This is going to be completely different than anything it's been like in the past. And it doesn't just go for fasting. It goes for Everything in the Christian walk, what Jesus was saying, it, it just permeates out over everything in Christendom. It is a change for everything. 
This would have been, I'm sure as they heard this, they're just going, what? What does he mean by this? Are you kidding me? We have all of these things that we have to do to earn righteousness. We have all of these 360 some laws to follow so that we can be right in God's eyes. We have to do these things. In fact, the Pharisees walk around with their noses held high, looking down at every other person in their community because they could do it. I mean, Paul even talks about he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, followed every letter of the law perfectly. I mean, this was something that was, they were crazy about. You talk about legalism today. This was the legalism of their time. They walked around with these discipline badges. Fasting was right here. Memorizing the 23rd Psalm over here. Right? Their good works, serving at the food kitchen was right here. They did every Bible study seven days a week. They read the Bible 365 days. They did that. It's right here, this patch here. And they just walked around with these patches. How many patches does that guy have? Only three. I'm on five. I'm better than he is. Seriously, this is what, this is what a relationship with God had become. Can it become like that for me and you now? Why do we do what we do? Jesus is, he's, he's getting at something so paramount, so important. He's getting at motivation. The motivation of the heart. And man, is this, this will mess with you because the only one who can change The motivations of the heart is Jesus. (laughs) We're like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. I want to have pure motives. I want to do this for the right reasons. I don't want this to be some badge I wear around so that I can lord it over other people and be prideful. But we're dependent on God to come into our hypocrisy and reveal our pride and change us from the inside out. Jesus was saying, I'm the Messiah. I have come to fulfill the law for you and create a new covenant with you that is not law-based, but is grace-based. So from now on, you can obey, get me on this, you can obey out of love and gratitude, empowered by his spirit. Now, the disciplines and obedience works itself out completely differently than it ever has before because Jesus fulfilled it, that it's all done that it is complete. Now, since Jesus has come, you don't live under the law anymore. There is no, there is a a new wine, which is grace. And you need new wine skins, which is obedience empowered and sustained by his spirit and our sense of gratitude and love. The law was rules and regulations that were not followed well at all. And then enforced by judges and prophets and inevitably God's judgment on people They had this yearly day of atonement that we've already talked about where they would fast and ashes and sackcloth. There were sacrifices where animals were killed and all of these other things. Now we don't have a schedule to follow of fasting or disciplines. Now get this. We do the disciplines because we are loved and we want to love. Did you follow me on that? 
We do the disciplines now. So you could say this. We fast now because we are loved and we want to grow in love. We do them out of joy to be close to the hope that we have. We do them because of what Jesus has done and is doing. I was trying to, how do, we, how do we quantify these things? Because how do we do this? I don't know about you, but I don't always do the disciplines because I'm super happy and excited to do them. If we were just being honest, right? Like, I don't always look forward to fasting. Like, because it's, you get hungry, your stomach growls, you get a little hangry, headaches come, right? There's that, you know, it's, it's not always pleasant. Like, there's not this... I'm just being real honest with you. I don't, there's not this just a great joy like, oh, I get to fast. This is going to be great. So there's like this, but I want my motivations to be right. How do I balance this out? How do I know? How do I know that I'm doing these acts of obedience out of good motivations? That these aren't, these aren't some legalism, weird, you know, religious type thing that are happening, but this is relationship growing and building. And I, I came up with this. Any act... We do out of burden or obligation and not love and gratitude is an act done under the law. Let me say that again. Any act we do out of burden or obligation and not love and gratitude is an act done under the law. We are putting ourselves back under the law. We're looking for that plaque that we can put on the wall. We're looking for that badge that we can wear. I'm not saying that it's easy. That's what I was talking about earlier. I'm not even saying that we have to walk around and, and be like, yay, I get to make huge sacrifices today. Woohoo! this is the greatest thing ever. We don't do any of these good things to earn anything is what I'm saying. We do it because we have already been given everything. We don't do these things to earn anything. We do these things because we've been given everything. Think of it this way. You're going to go take a test, right? It is a huge test. This will determine whether you're certified to be whatever it is you're supposed to be. You've been in school for six years. This is your final exam. It is a pass or fail. This is it. Your future is on the line. You walk in, you have studied, you've done a ton of work and everything else. You are coming in and you're like, this thing is 300 pages long. I don't know how I'm going to remember all this stuff. You're just, you're coming in, you're nervous, you're freaking out. And your, your professor comes up to you and he says, all right, Matt, time to take the test. But I just want you to know, uh, you, you, you aced it. All right, go take the test. And you're like, what, what, what? So hold on a second. What do you mean? I, I haven't taken the test yet. No, 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 you don't understand. Um, so-and-so, he came in, he took the test for everybody. He, he completely aced it. I don't know how he did it. I mean, it was, it's impossible to ace it, but he aced it. I mean, every question's right. So everybody, everybody in the class, every, everybody gets an A, you aced it. You, I mean, you've got to take the test and everything, but just so you know, 100%, you're good to go. I don't know about you. I'm a terrible test taker. I am, I get nervous. I get freaked out. My palms get sweat. Even talking about it, I'm starting to sweat. I hate taking tests. I forget everything. I get nervous. And my mind blanks and all that other stuff, right? But if, if my professor came in and said that, hey, your test is done, you're good to go, hey, take the test, but just know it's perfect. <laughs> He'd be like, yes, 
I'm done. I can go take this test, but I'm already certified. I can go on, get the job that I need to do. I can just go do this. I'm going to go in there and take that test. I'm not going to worry about any question. I'm going to answer these questions the best I can, but I'm going to know that I'm already done, man. It's already finished. That's what Jesus has done for you and me. So when I look at these disciplines and these guidances that God has given us for our good, when we know that God's way is the best way and we look at these different things and try to apply them to lives, we're applying them knowing that everything is completely accomplished and perfect. We've already got an A on the test. You should really you should just say amen at that. Right? Because all of us, we look at life and we look at the struggles that we have and we look at the challenges that are before us. Being a dad, being a husband, being a grandfather or grandmother, living out this life that God has placed before us, the heavy weight of responsibility that is on you. Get this, it's perfect. That weight that you're feeling, it's not the weight for you, it's a weight that Christ has already lifted There's no performance that you have to do. God is going to do what he wants to do in spite of you and through you anyways. We look at this so oftentimes, this life that we live, let me be specific, as if it is all on me. You know, I gotta gotta do this, accomplish this, do this, accomplish this, and do this, and accomplish this. And I'm not saying that we don't do things. We do things. But what we need to know is that Christ has accomplished all for me and you. And there's nothing, there's nothing that you can do or say that would make it any better than it already is in God's eyes. Let that sink in for a second. We walk around with the weight of the world on our shoulders. And Jesus is like, I already saved the world. It's done. And we think we have to be Jesus. Any act done as unto the Lord is an act done under grace. Any act done as done unto the Lord is done under grace. Now, that's not saying that that's not going to be hard to do sometimes, right? Obedience to God's word is sacrifice, is difficult. But if we do it as unto the Lord, it is an act done under his grace. Jesus came to be the final sacrifice. No more animal sacrifices. Jesus is enough. He was saying, you have to look at things in a totally different way. Enter into the joy of salvation of Jesus Christ. This is the new way of living. This is new cloth or new wine and new wineskins. Jesus is talking about what he's talking about can only be lived out at the foot of the cross. This grace-based life, this Jesus-centered life can only be lived out at the foot of the cross. And this is the epiphany, this is the paradigm shift that you and I are called to live out every day and for the rest of our lives and into eternity. Our paradigm shift is the change from working to earn the A 
working to earn a spot on the team, earn the degree, earn the job or the position, to living out the spot on the team that you're already on, the position you already have, the degree that's already been given, because it's all been gifted to us. Now, there was a great price that was paid, and it has been accomplished. Keeping Christ in view is the only way we can do this. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? Have you ever felt that you don't measure up? Maybe it's in motherhood. Maybe it's being a father. Maybe it's being a provider, a leader, or just trying to be you. Have you ever felt that you just haven't been able to do it? You feel like a failure. You feel like you're weak. That, that it's not worth anything. The things that you're working towards just come out hollow and shallow. Jesus says, look to me. Look to me. He says, don't look at what the world says is measured success. Don't look at even what you feel as measured success. Look at what I say. Look at what I've done. Because what I say about you and what I've done for you determines who you are. This is the most amazing, life-changing truth. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are so valuable. You are so special that God sent his only son to die for you. Not only that, but he sent his only son to live for you. <laughs> that life that he lived, that perfectness that he lived, that's the life that God the Father sees when he looks down at those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We, go, we, we, could, we move forward and we live out this life trying to earn something because it is, it is drilled in us from birth. Do this, get that. Practice this, get that. Do this, get that. And Jesus says, get this and then do that's the paradigm shift. And it sounds so simple, right? You may be even sitting out there right now and be like, Matt, this is like Christianity 101. And you're not lying. It's Christianity 101. You've been given the keys to the kingdom. And Jesus says, live out the kingdom life. Wait, wait, wait. I don't have to live the kingdom life and then I get the keys? No, no, no. You get the keys to the Ferrari, go have some fun. That's the gospel, the good news. But here's the difficulty. It's really hard to do. It is really, really hard. Because we love those lists that we can check off. And we, we love to accomplish things and pat ourselves on the back. Right? It's hard to live out that life where Christ has just given us everything. And believe that and trust in that. And know that. I mean, really know it. Because if we really know it, it changes how we live and what we do. So this huge mic drop moment that Jesus has with these people is 
a mic drop moment for me and you for the rest of our lives. If we can wrap our minds around the truth of God's grace in the person of Jesus Christ, it will change everything you do. It will change your conversations with your spouse. It'll change your conversation with your neighbors. It will give you a heart for evangelism. It will draw you into prayer and conversation with the Lord. We have been given the most amazing gift. But we need that gift giver to open our eyes to the amazingness of that gift over and over and over and over again. That's what God's calling us into. Don't you want that? We want to be a changed people, a people marked by our creator. And we can only do that if we trust that God will be God in our lives today, tomorrow, and forever. Let's be a people that live out of love because we've been loved. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son. And this, this epiphany, this paradigm-shifting statement that Christ has made, even in Scripture here, but is making it even now in our lives. God, we pray that we don't try and put new wine into old wineskins. That you would, by the power of your Spirit, open our eyes to the gift of your grace in the person of Jesus. And God, that, that epiphany, that paradigm shift would be motivation to love you and love others. To share the gospel to pursue knowing you more in the scriptures and memorizing, meditating on them because it is life and breath and it is, it is knowing you more. God, that it would draw us into relationship with your church and other believers. Give us a heart of love for you, Father. Do what only you can do in our lives. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go and stand as we sing our closing song this morning.